Hello, everyone out there. It's good to be with you again. I hope that you're doing well. Uh, we've been praying that uh, we're going to get through this thing stronger than ever. We've been praying that when we come out of this thing, that we're going to be uh, a people who trust their God uh, in a greater way, uh, that our relationships with God would be stronger, that we would be stronger together, and that we would be stronger families, stronger friends, uh, stronger leaders, etc., but uh, a stronger church and stronger in Christ uh, in our personal relationships. So I just pray for you right now, in fact, Lord, that you would make yourself known to us, that, God, you would show yourself in your word right now, that we would lean on you. We would not lean on our own understanding. We thank you, God, that your word promises us that if we do that, you're going to direct our path. You make them straight. You make them smooth. Lord, you're going to lead us to, Lord, a land that is flowing with milk and honey. Thank you, God. A place where you protect us, you provide for us, you are with us, and you never, ever leave us. We just thank you, God, and I pray for a blessing on all those that are listening right now. Thank you, Lord. So if you're out there, it's good to be with you. And um, I'm just going to continue what I've been preaching on for the last couple of weeks. And it's just basically that God, even though he is not seen, God is in the unseen. Your eternity is in the unseen. You have put your faith in an unseen God, trusting a story that is penned down uh, that supposedly, we don't say that, but that's what the world says, that supposedly that this um, virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit and brought this person, Jesus, into the earth he dies and his blood equals our blood and it wipes away our record of sin and through repentance we have eternity in heaven. It sounds foolish to the world and Corinthians tells us, in fact, if you've been doing the Bible reading with us as a church, then you just read this, but it tells us that the wisest of this world, the wisdom of this world is foolishness to God. But what's foolish to them is actually God's wisdom. It's God's plan. What the world considers foolish, this Jesus, this mystery Jesus, who in fact was the Son of God and in fact did take our sin on that cross and through repentance, we have life with him and eternity with him forever and ever. Amen. But it sounds so foolish to this world. Because they can't see it, because the book is considered outdated, this book, this book that is considered by the world just rules and regulations and religion, but it's not just a book, it's life, right? Hebrews 4 tells us that there's life within those words because the Bible is actually Jesus Christ. It is actually Him in written form. And when we read of the things that God did for people, the things that He did for those who trusted Him, we are actually getting closer to Jesus Christ when we believe those words. We're getting closer to Him 
and the relationship that we have in Christ is actually growing. And all you believers out there, you can say amen because you are fully aware of that supernatural, unseen, really uh, unexplainable. We can try to explain it in words and even sermons. You know, so many times I'm trying to explain something that cannot be explained with human words, but from believer to believer, we know what we're talking about, what Jesus has done supernaturally in us, and the things that he has taken out of our lives, and supernaturally the things he has put into our lives, the blessings he's given us, and the times that he saved us, even from death itself. And we're so thankful for that relationship we have with Jesus. And yet, all of it is based in an unseen God. And we have come to terms with that. Yet, what happens is, is when things in our circumstances change, sometimes when our circumstances change, we can because it's our human nature, even though Christ has redeemed us, sometimes we revert back to our human nature, and we don't need to. You don't have to. You can't just say, well, I'm human. He's Jesus. That's not an excuse. Although there's grace and mercy, we don't have to revert. Thank you, Lord, that his grace and mercy is there every time we get in our flesh, and we get in our own mind, and and we, we try to help God be God, and we try to figure it out. Thank you, Lord, that you're always there. But we don't have to be like that. We don't have to uh, get into our heads and get into fear and get into worry and become human again. We don't have to. We can trust God. We can choose every time, Lord, I'm going to choose to trust you, even though it doesn't make sense, because we have to realize that the whole thing that we have here, this relationship with Jesus, is all based on faith. We are believing that God did something miraculous uh, really before time, but manifested in time 2,000 years ago. We have to believe uh, with faith that that's what happened. So that same faith that receives Christ, we must have that same faith every single day in every situation, almost like a broken record. I've been saying this a lot, but we cannot base our faith on situations. It cannot be circumstantial faith. Our faith must be solid. It must be immovable. It must be anchored in the Word of God and not anchored in our circumstances uh, or anchored in the way we feel. And I've been talking about the senses the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to go away from that direction, but I want to continue in this topic of God being in the unseen. But I just want to encourage you today, of even though he's working from the unseen, um, all the believers out there can testify. And if you are an unbeliever, then uh, you can hear it from me right now, and I can tell you that if you'll receive him, If you do receive him into your life, you're going to experience this same exact uh, unexplainable phenomena, which is that things will happen in and around you and through you that the world has no answer for. 
I mean, they're going to try, they're going to call it coincidence, and they're going to call it luck. And we have all these human scientific uh, heathen words for things that God is doing. But all the Christians out there can testify that God has done a miracle. He has done miracles, plural, so innumerable, in fact, that we are just even unaware of all that God has actually done for us and is presently still doing for us. And so we uh, just have to believe today. I just want us to believe God again. I want us just to trust Him again. I want us just to fully grab a hold of Him and say, Lord, I believe you. I trust you. And I want to encourage you that God is the same God. We know this as believers. Yesterday, today, and forever. He has not changed, and His throne has not been moved. And it doesn't matter what is going on in the political world, the financial world, today in the health of the world. None of those things affect God's throne. The effect is seen here in the natural, but God stays the same. And he has a plan. You have to believe this, that God has a plan. He has not forgotten his people, and he's going to work something amazing even through what is, in humanly speaking, a horrible situation. God, outside of um, our understanding, is going to work this thing together, this time together, for a miracle. You have to believe his word. We just choose to believe that word. And I just want to get into something here, that God is in the unseen, and we also have an enemy that is in the unseen. And he is working overtime right now. The enemy is working overtime. And I just want to say this, that uh, it's not the enemy necessarily who's the author of the trials in your life. Uh, We face challenges. We have our our bodies are uh, slowly decomposing. You know, there's a time that we grow, and then we hit that max peak. You know, if you're a male or female, it's around that 20-year-old time. You know, it's a little bit older for the males, a little bit younger for the female, that it's all done. You stopped growing, and then we start decomposing. Our human body is actually dying as it gets older. Uh, Our cells are dying that's what wrinkles are, is cells that just don't have life in them anymore, and they're kind of just stuck on your body. Thank you. You can give the Lord an amen. You're getting a brand new body in heaven. But uh, that body is decomposing, so we're going to experience uh, things happening in our bodies, and it's going to maybe get sick at times. It's going to be harder to move at times, and we live in this fallen world and in this fallen world, we go through storms that's natural and physical and spiritual storms. And we go through hard times because we live in this fallen world. And for you out there, if you don't know what I mean by the fallen world, just simply it means that when Adam and Eve sinned uh, and then they were kicked out of the garden, we were not welcomed back into the garden. 
we were put into this kind of bondage time of of now life and death. They were not eternal beings anymore. There was a time of life and then a time you'll die. But Jesus Christ came. He brought his blood to restore back what Adam and Eve had in the garden, which was eternity, eternity with God and the blessings of God. And that uh, one day he's going to bring a brand new earth, a brand new heaven, and we're going to have a brand new body. Thank you, Lord. But in the meantime, we live in this place called the fallen world, we say in Christianity. But Jesus lived in this fallen world as if he was not bound by it. And I've preached many times that we don't have to be bound by this fallen world. That even though we're in this world, we are not of it. Jesus walked upon the waves. They had no effect on him. The waves were there. The wind was there. But he just walked right on top of them because he showed us that you can be in this world but not of it. So I want us to be clear, though, back to my point, that the enemy is not necessarily bringing the trial in your life. What he's going to try to do to you is try to get your eyes on that storm. Okay, it's not him necessarily. It's not the devil bringing the storm in your life. It's just life. You know, we get a cold. When you get a cold, it's not the devil. It's just getting the cold. But what he's going to try to get you to do is get you to get miserable. He's going to try to take that cold and he's going to use it for you to be now uh, cranky and for you to be unchristian, to be not to be nice. <laughs> I'm being nice in my wording, but really to be to be blunt, uh, acting like the devil because uh, we're cranky, because we're hungry, because we don't feel well. So he will use a natural thing that we that we experience in this fallen world and try to get you uh, even into sin or even in a worse situation, into doubt, or even to blame God for your troubles, and for some, uh, even just to quit God altogether, and many have, and that's incredibly sad. But this enemy is trying to uh, take territory in your life. He wants the ground that you've gained. Aren't you thankful out there, all you believers, for the things that God has given you? And, and I'm talking to the real believers out there. I'm not talking about, you know, the house that he blessed you with or, or even the spouse that he gave you. And those things are incredible. Those are amazing gifts from the Lord. But I'm talking even deeper than those things. I'm talking about the gifts that he's given you, his personal relationship to you. All those other things your spouse can only really be fulfilling in your life when Jesus Christ is the center of your life and that life together. And aren't you so thankful? And the devil's trying to get in there and try to take territory in your life. He wants to, to steal, kill, and destroy, the Bible says. And he will try to get in between uh, you and the blessings of God, and he will try to use the trials of this life to get you even to curse God, like we read in the book of Job. He wants the ground you've gained. Come on, Christians. We have gained so much ground because the Holy Spirit is constantly working on us, and he's trying to get junk out of us and simultaneously put the life of the Word of God um, the truth of God, which the world just calls rules and regulations and being good, 
we understand that that we can never be good, but he's putting his goodness, he's putting the fruits of the Spirit in us, replacing the sin in us, right? So he's taking the junk out and putting the fruits of the Spirit in us. And the devil wants you to mess up. He wants you not just to curse God, but he wants you to be a reflection of the of of Satan's image and not God's image. He doesn't want you to have the fruit of the Spirit. He doesn't want you to be a believer that is strong and has faith and that is trusting God and is declaring everywhere you go that God is good. So if he can get you to be a a, a complainer, he can get you to get to be miserable, then uh, he may not be able to steal your salvation, but he can certainly steal the light and the salt that you are supposed to be on this earth by getting you to act like him. And so what he will try to do is to bring chaos and confusion and darkness into your situation. But I just want to, I'm going to share a story with us today that I absolutely love this Bible story. The Bible is so powerful and it's so relevant. I get so irritated, forgive me, that, uh, that, but I, I can't help. I get so even irate when people say that the Bible is old, it's archaic, it's not relevant. And it's so relevant. It's just that there are eyes are blinded, and we just need to keep praying that their eyes will be open to the truth of the Word of God. But it's so relevant. There's so much truth in it, and there's so much life in God's Word. And I just want to share this story with you. You can turn in your Bibles if you'd like, or you can just listen along. But it's in the book of Second Chronicles in the Old Testament, Second Chronicles chapter 32. And we're going to be reading here. Just want to make sure I had some intro things here that I'm not missing. Uh, we're going to be reading here in verse 1. It says that King uh, Sennacherib of Assyria invaded Judah. So this Assyrian king, this is an enemy. This is, if we're going to make this Bible story relevant, and, and we're going to look at this, because they really live this. But when we read the Bible, what we're doing is we're seeing how God uh, worked in the situation. We're also seeing how an enemy would come and would try to disrupt God's plan for his people. And we also then get to see the third element, how the people respond, uh, how they're going to either cry out to God or, like the children of Israel did after he freed them from uh, Egypt, uh, complain and murmur. So we have those elements going on whenever we read a Bible story. And what's amazing here is that we can actually look uh, fast forward to right here, 2020. We can look with 2020 vision, with clear vision. We can look into this story as if it's right here in front of us, right here and now, and make it just as relevant that there is an enemy we read. There is an enemy, okay? An enemy came to invade, and it was a real enemy, and it came to invade them. This was for in their real lives, but for us, we read, we can look and see 
in the book of Ephesians that there is a war going on for us. Ephesians 6 says we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. All right, that was a flesh and blood enemy. And we're going to read about this battle, and it's an amazing one. So hold on. Don't, don't run away yet. Uh, I've got some, um, some points that I believe God's given me here for this story. So just hold on. I'm going to get to them, and it's, uh, it's going to show God's power and his strength. But we read in Ephesians 6 that we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers. There's authorities. There are, it says, of the unseen world in the NLT, and you can see that those are um, uh, principalities, powers. They're rulers of the darkness of this age, according to the New King James. They're spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. There is an unseen enemy, just as God is working in the unseen for our good, and we believe, as we read last week in Hebrews, that God, out of nothingness, spoke the earth into existence, okay? God doesn't need anything to do something amazing. He doesn't need uh, substance. God just works outside of uh, any circumstance, outside of the parameters of time and space and substance and matter. God doesn't need matter. God didn't need the Big Bang. God didn't need anything because he's God. He just did it. And we have an enemy that's working in an unseen place. It's un the unseen. He's trying to work between us. He's trying to get between you and your, maybe even in your household. He's trying to get between you and your church. He's trying to get between you and your children. He's trying to get between you and you. And what I mean by that is the you that the Lord is working on and the you that wants to do what you want to do. He's trying to get you to lean more towards me, myself, and I. And he's working, as the Bible says here in Ephesians, in that unseen realm. It's, a, it's not a flesh and blood enemy. And we could get more into that another time. But for today, I just wanted to quickly note, and I believe if, if you're a Christian out there and you're listening to this, that you are fully aware of that unseen enemy. And the Bible tells us to, to it says, don't be unaware. Don't be unaware. We, we should not be surprised by the enemy, and we shouldn't be unaware of him. We don't need to focus on him. I'm going to focus on the Lord, just as we read in this story. But we need to be aware that he's there. And that's exactly what happens here. It says that he comes back to 2 Chronicles chapter 32, and we're looking at verse 1. It says that this king, Sennacherib of Assyria, laid siege to the fortified towns and he gave orders for his army to break through their walls. And there has been a decree against you. When you said yes to Jesus, the enemy has been trying to get you back. Now, he's going to fail. Let me just tell you the end of the story at the beginning. The enemy is not going to win. If you keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and you hold on to that repentance that you said, Lord, I repent, and I turn my life to you, and I hold on to you, Lord. We do that. We, you need to know the end of the story right now at the beginning, that the enemy is going to fail every single time. But I want you to know this, that he's going to try to come. He's going to try to get you into doubt and into worry and into fear. And these are uh, uh, some of the 
the sins that when we talk about these things, they, what they're really saying is that I don't trust you, God. They're really saying that, uh, you know, I don't know that I repented of my sin and that I made you Lord. I may have said I want the cross and I want all the good things and I want the blessings of the Lord, but did I make you Lord? Because when we say I make you Lord, what we're saying is just like we can see the picture of, you know, maybe all, you know, maybe the medieval times where, you know, when the kings were still called lords. We don't really call them lords much today unless you're in England. But a leader was, the king was a lord and a, a ruler was a lord. And, and you would bow your knee. You would show respect. You didn't speak <laughs> unless you were given the opportunity to speak. And thank you, Jesus, that he calls us friends. And we do have an opportunity to speak with our Lord because he's given us that opportunity. But he is Lord. And when we bowed our knee to him, in that repentance, we also called him Lord. So we must trust him. We must stay in that place. And if we do, the enemy will fail at every single turn in your life. Every time he's going to try to sideswipe you and take you down, he's going to fail. The Lord will have victory over him. So it says here that Hezekiah, it says uh, in verse 5, that he worked hard. And I just see it as Hezekiah took action. He took action as a king does. And uh, he did some proactive things uh, up to verse 5. And in verse 5, it says he worked hard at repairing all the broken sections of the wall. And he erected towers and constructed a second wall outside the first. And he also reinforced the supporting terraces in the city of David. And he manufactured large numbers of weapons and shields. And in verse 6, he appointed military officers over the people. And he assembled them before him in the square at the city gate. Now, this story is not about... Um, what Hezekiah does here in the natural, this is about God and about God's miraculous power. What I think it needs to be noted, and I want to spend a few minutes here noting this. Many times, uh, what Hezekiah does in the natural, I think is important because uh, we, we put our faith in God. And, and many times, the things we need to complete or accomplish or we're believing God for, um, sometimes uh, our faith in God is actually relying on the wisdom and on the resources that he's already given us. Sometimes we're asking God to do something that we actually have in our hands the ability to do. Now, it doesn't take any glory away from God, but um, it's, it's actually giving glory to God because you're doing it with what he's given you. And I remember there's an old Christian joke, maybe you already know it, but basically it goes like this, that a guy is out at sea and he's shipwrecked. So uh, a ship comes along, uh, you know, it's the, the Coast Guard comes out and, and throws him uh, a lifesaver and, and he, he, he says, no, I'm, I decided to have faith in God. I'm going to believe God that he's going to save me. So he rejects the offer. And then the, the Navy now sends the, a helicopter out, and they drop the ladder down. And he, he says, no, 
instead of reaching out and grabbing it, it's right there. It's right in front of him. All he has to do is just grab it. He decides, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to have faith in God that God's going to save me. So finally, he uh, runs out of energy and he drowns and he dies and he goes to heaven and he says, Lord, you know, uh, where were you? Why didn't you rescue me? And God says to him, well, I sent you a rescue boat and I sent you a helicopter. And I think that's a funny joke because sometimes uh, we have the ability at arm's reach to get through a situation. And again, I need to say we're not taking away the glory from God. Uh, what Hezekiah does here is he does what we should do as Christians is everything in the natural that you can do. And now, I don't mean that as soon as you run into a situation, you immediately um, get into overdrive and, and stressed out and go crazy trying to get yourself through a situation. But basically, if a bill shows up in the mail and you have money in the bank to pay it, you don't need to ask the Lord, Lord, provide the money to pay this bill. Because the Lord's going to say, I already did. It's in your bank account. So sometimes we're actually, uh, we could get into stress, we could get into worry, because maybe we're looking and saying, yeah, but I expected there be, to be more in that account than there is. Even though there's enough to pay that bill, we're actually in this weird, um, not faith, we're in this weird worry and fear, but actually we have what we need. And, and so... Uh, Hezekiah does the natural things, which I think we should all do. We should all um, do everything we can with what God has given us. God gave us resources, gave us wisdom. It's not taking God's power away, but we should do those things first. And uh, it's not in any trusting in God. I have to say it like this, and this is disclosure. If you have a relationship with the Lord, if you are trusting in God, then uh, God is going to give you supernatural wisdom. That's his promise. He gives us wisdom from above. That's some of the, the, the fruit of the Spirit right there is wisdom and understanding. And he'll give you resources. Now, with that said, there are times that we're going to get to in this story that are beyond us. Okay, so so many times... And I've done this so many times where I do what I know how to do, and I do everything I can do, and I've done it in my strength, uh, not in my strength, rather, I'm sorry, because I've preached against that all the time, and I'm still preaching against it. It's not in my strength, but I'm doing the things uh, with, with um, what God's given me, the ability he's given me. It's still not my strength. I don't want to get in stress and worry and do my own thing, but I've done what I believe um, can be done, and now... I need to rely on the Lord. I was already relying on him before. I was trusting him when I went out and worked and made that money to pay that bill, if that was the thing. But then there's times we get to where uh, you've done everything you can do, and now this army is still pressing against you. You've done everything in the natural. You've done everything you know to do, and, and, and you've gotten to this place where, where you just say, God, I have to trust you. I did everything that I could do, uh, uh, even maybe in this time, you know, even because we're in this time, you say, you know, I, I'm, I'm using sanitizer. I've got plenty of toilet paper. 
Uh, I'm shopping smart. I'm wearing the mask. I'm socially distancing. I'm doing all these things. But in the end, we really just have to trust God. Because you could do all those things in the natural, but really, you know, let's not fool ourselves that, that we're going through this life as Christians trusting God. Even though we're making decisions almost subconsciously, we don't even realize sometimes that we're, we're relying on God and God's wisdom, but we're doing things that we know to do. But then ultimately, we have to be aware of this, that God really is our strength, that it's truly God. And, and, and sometimes the enemy will poke his head up and, and he'll create um, a, a stress uh, in, in, a, in a situation, use a situation that uh, feels like, okay, this is beyond what I have the ability to prevent. I put up all the barriers and, and I knew what to do and I've been, I can handle this and I can handle that. But now this is like beyond uh, my, my strength. This is beyond my comfort zone. And uh, Hezekiah in verse 6 says that he encouraged the people saying, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged because the king of Assyria or his mighty army, don't be afraid of this king or his army, for there is a power far greater on our side. It says in verse 8, he may have a great army, but they are merely men. We have the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles for us. And Hezekiah's words greatly encourage the people. So, I didn't want, that's not the sermon. You doing what you can do in wisdom, that's not it. That's just a disclosure. Here's the sermon. That ultimately, uh, Hezekiah knew, I can do all these things in the natural, and, 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 I, and I, again, we need to do those things, but this is really what I believe. This is, I'm speaking for Hezekiah, that God is going to take care of us, that it's God. I'm relying on God. Uh, I can go and vote. I can pray for this president. I can, um, I can, uh, you know, uh, do things in my community, and I can try to change the climate of this community politically. But ultimately, what we're doing as believers has to be bigger and beyond that. We have to look beyond those natural things, and we have to say above the man and above the political system is a God who rules in heaven, and I'm relying on him. I'm leaning on his assistance. It doesn't matter what check they're going to send me. The check that I'm waiting on is from the Lord, and that's a supernatural sustenance that bypasses natural, that's bigger than the natural. We have to be aware that even though there are natural needs, and, and I said it last week that your human stomach is going to get hungry, so fill it with food. You can do that. That's not sin, but ultimately, that's not going to fulfill you. Your spirit is really hungry for the Lord, and we need to fill our spirit stomach, so to speak, not to be funny, but uh, fill that spirit with life from the Word of God. And so, uh, he says to them to be strong and courageous. Don't worry about this, this king. 
because we did everything we can do, but God is on our side. I want you to close your eyes in your room right now, wherever you guys are at, and I want you just to look, if you can, in your imagination. I want you to look <laughs> uh, into heaven. I want you to see God. Just picture him sitting on his throne. Picture him at the beginning of time when he opened his mouth and spoke into nothingness and created the world and created the universe and then breathed into this mud and formed you and I and put his own spirit in us. And even I was meditating on this, that the animals are so amazing. I love nature and I love this earth, his creation, what he did. I love seeing his wonders. Um, but we have this ability in us to know uh, right and wrong. It's, it's in all of us. Whether people acknowledge God or not, there's this underlying, you know, this, this program in our DNA that animals don't have of, of making decisions based on, on uh, and, and people do it without God, but based on right and wrong, good and bad. You know, light and darkness, good and evil, and even you know we we call it on the other side of the world in the new age and in in uh, in the Asian Buddhism cultures, uh, right? We call it the yin and the yang, and and they don't have the Lord, they don't know our God, but they still they understand that, and but that's amazing that it's in us whether we acknowledge God or not. How incredible this God that that made us so special, He made us. God made us with this ability to, to know in us that there is a right and wrong. Now, we don't know what right and wrong is. We just know that there is a right and wrong, and we need him. We need his word to direct us. But how incredible. So just picture that God who took nothingness and made you with this ability to choose him or not to choose him, as heartbreaking as that is. But this free will inside you, and how incredible, how incredible. And it says that that God is on our side. That amazing God is on our side. You need to know today, whatever you're going through, it's in your mind. It might be in your body. It might be uh, in your home. It might be in your business. It might be uh, in your, in, you, know, uh, you raising a child that's troubling you or whatever's going on. You need to know that God is on your side. And even though it looks like, how are you going to handle the situation? God, who made the world, who spoke the world into existence out of nothingness, is working on your side. So Hezekiah knew his God, and he knew the power of God. And he knew that God is on our side. In fact, your translation might say something like this, that there are more with us than with him. All right, there's, there's more with us than with this other army. There's more with us than with the enemy. The enemy might be coming and trying to bring something against you, try to get you uh, to doubt God, get you away from God's promises, get you out of this peace that God has given us, get you out of peace and get you focus on the storm, get you back into that worldly way of thinking, 
And and we need to know today, I want to encourage you that God is on your side and that there are more with him. He comes with an army that is greater than the enemy's army. His resources, his answer will cut and break and destroy every battle that comes against you, no matter how great it seems and how unbearable or or how unapproachable this trial is. I don't even, I can't even imagine, I don't even know how to get through it, but the Lord already has an answer there for you. And the Bible is clear that uh, before we even accepted Jesus as our Savior, uh, that God was already working in the unseen. He was already create. He was already before time even began that Jesus, if you really study the word, you see that Jesus was already working out a plan before the before sin even happened. It's just it's unfathomable. We can't even understand that. But we thank you, Lord, that we've been rescued from the devil's power and we've been rescued from his leading and we are on God's side. In fact, I was thinking it's kind of like when you're a kid and uh, you're playing a game of dodgeball and, and you know your team's got the, the good kid, you know, the one who can throw really, really fast and, uh, and he aims for the head and, uh, you know, the kid that catches the fastest ball thrown his way. And when you're on that kid's team, you can kind of get arrogant and be careful because that could be your downfall, but you feel like you're going to win. Uh, no thanks to your own abilities, but because you got that kid on your team. And, and you know, you got the kid that's, that usually wins. And uh, we need to know that it's kind of like that God has us. God stands in front of the fastballs, and he catches those rockets, and he, thro- he throws for the head. Uh, he knocks over the opponent, every opponent, like bowling pins. And we can read in Romans chapter 6, verse 8, it says, Since we died with Christ, we know we will also live with him. Verse 9, we are sure of this because Christ was raised from the dead and he will never die again. Death no longer has any power over him doesn't have any power over him, so that it doesn't have any power over us. Colossians chapter 2 says, and this is what we need to know, God is on our side. We need to know that even though that he is in the working in the unseen, and that's really what I've been trying to get to in these last few weeks, is really to get us to understand that even though you can't see it, even though You don't know what he's going to do yet or how he's going to work it out. You just have to come to the place that you've done everything you can do. You're you're spending time with him. There's nothing more that you can do. You just have to trust him, and you have to know God's on my side. He's going to do it. And uh, it says here in Colossians 2, verse 14, that he canceled the record of the charges against us And took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed. I want you to hear this. He disarmed. Jesus Christ disarmed 
the spiritual rulers and authorities. It says that he made a public spectacle or he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. That's our Jesus, and that's the Jesus that's on our side. So we read, though, uh, a few verses down that uh, Sennacherib, he tries to discourage the people, and he sends servants to the Israelites, and and this is what's going to happen. He's going to try to come. The enemy's going to try to come, and and this is what he's going to try to do. He says in verse 15, don't let Hezekiah deceive you. And this is what the enemy might be saying to you right now. Maybe this is this is going to be really relevant. And if it's not, there'll be a time in your life where doubt may come. And I want you just to think back on these words uh, that we're that I'm gonna I'm gonna bring some power here from the Lord uh, that that God is on your side, and that if you will hold on to Him and you will not look at the trial, the trouble, the thing, the unknown, etc., that God will get you through it. You need to know that now. But because the enemy will come and he will try to say, don't let that preacher deceive you. Don't let that Bible deceive you. He might say, don't let those Christians deceive you. Or even, don't let your head or your heart deceive you because your head and your heart are believing God. You're believing his word and you just know it inside you. He'll try to come to bring doubt. But he says, he says here in verse 15, he says, I say it again, no God. This is quite a taunt from the enemy. No God or any nation or kingdom has ever yet been able to rescue his people from me or my ancestors. Now, this is not only quite a taunt, but this is something that we need to pay attention to. Sometimes the enemy will come and it is unknown. He says, when I've come to conquer a nation, I've conquered it. No one doesn't matter who they said their God was. No one was able to stand against me. And sometimes in your life, you will come against new things, face new things, and the enemy will say, I've taken down every single person in this area, and I'm going to take you down too. And the truth is that he's a liar. He's a liar. Because if we trust God, he can't get you. And he says to them, Verse 16, um, uh, Sennacherib's officers further mocked the Lord God and his servant Hezekiah, heaping insult upon insult. The king also sent letters scorning the Lord, the God of Israel. He wrote, just as the gods of all other nations failed to rescue their people from my power, so the God of Hezekiah will also fail. Verse 18, the Assyrian officials who brought the letters shouted this in Hebrew. Now, this is uh, written here on purpose to make a point that they shouted it in their language. They could have just come and set up 
and and people would have known what that meant. You know, they're outside their gates and they, they want to make war. But they came and they shouted in their language. And this is what it says. It says they shouted in Hebrew to the people gathered on the walls of the city trying to terrify them so it would be easier to capture the city. So he shouted in their language to bring terror, to create fear, and to create worry, so that he would be able to capture the city. The enemy wants to take the ground back that the Lord has given you, ground that you've made in the Lord, ground that you've made in your community. And the enemy wants to try to take back. You have gone so far in the Lord, and he wants to get you to fall back, to lose that place that you have in the Lord. And he will come and he will speak your language. He will try to get you to doubt God ultimately. But each of us has a different language. The enemy knows our language. Uh, God knows our language. He knows what, what will encourage us. He knows what we need to hear. And God gets his message to us, doesn't he? Thank you, Lord that you're so good to us, and that you always uh, find a way. Lord, it's not hard for him. It feels like he finds a way, but it's easy for him. But he makes a way to get the message of love and grace and mercy, and then he's going to come through for us. He gets it to us in some way, shape, or form. And the enemy also knows our language. He's not God. I don't want to give him any glory, because God is God, and God is God alone. But he's been watching you. He's been studying you, and he knows your buttons. He knows your language, and uh, we all have different languages, but uh, we each have one, and, and maybe it's uh, your language is, uh, is your money, and when your money is thin, uh, you worry. So he'll come and try to get in that area, and he'll try to amplify that issue, and he'll try to speak in your ear, what are you going to do, what are you going to do, what are you going to do, how are you going to do this? And so ultimately to get you into a place of worry and fear and your eyes are off of God. And really all he's trying to do is when he gets your eyes off of God is now your relationship is suddenly hindered. God's love does not change. I want to make that clear. God doesn't stop loving you. God doesn't hate you suddenly. God is not angry with you at that moment, but your relationship is hindered because now you are not looking at God, but you are looking uh, not only at the situation, but you are actually looking. If you listen to the enemy, you're looking at the enemy. Your eyes are now on him. And so uh, we have to take those words and take those, those, those tactics that he comes with, and we have to just squash it. We have to do what we're about to read here that they did, and it says that they, uh, verse 19, that the officers talked about the God of Jerusalem as though he were one of the pagan gods made by human hands. And this is so significant. You need to think about this, that when the enemy comes to you with his lies, when he comes to try to get whatever trial it is in your life, whatever you're going through, if it's what we're going through right now to get you into worry and into fear, uh, he will try to use that situation 
to get your eyes off of God. That's it. Just get your eyes off of God. Ultimately, that's it. And then, and then we're not, uh, we're not only uh, hindered in our relationship with God, but also, as I mentioned earlier, our witness is suddenly affected. If someone calls us and they're looking for encouragement from us, but but we're so focused on this this sudden worry in our lives. Um, I've seen the Lord come through. Don't don't uh, think that the Lord's not more powerful than my worry that He can't still minister to someone even though I'm dealing with something. But but ultimately, I'm not going to be a great witness if I stay in myself. If I don't snap out of it on that phone call and let the Lord work through me, and I I can even sow that doubt into someone. And right, we've all done that where we've been in that bad mood, we're not, we're, we don't even realize it yet, but we're not trusting God, and uh, all that's coming out of our mouth is is our, our misery, and all it's doing is spreading it. It's just spreading it like throw up on, on someone else, and it's gross. And, and the Lord is gracious, and he's merciful to us, and we can make that situation right with him and with the person. We can call them and say, you know what? Um, I should have been more encouraging at the time going through something, but I just want to tell you that God is going to help you in your situation. I'm believing he's going to help me in mine, and I'm going to put my faith into your situation as well. So he's got a redemption, restoration, and he'll fix that. But it, I just wanted to say uh, quickly that, um, uh, you know, it, they they said this, though, that that they were just one of the pagan gods. They just talked like it was just uh, some some God. We need to know that the lie of the enemy, the ultimate lie, and this is what I was trying to get to, the lie of the enemy is that all of his lies, they're so substanceless. If we really boil them down, if we really take the lies of the enemy, we put them against the word of God. We just put them against the promises of God, the truth of God, or put them against, as I just had you meditate earlier, on ha- on who God is when he says he's on our side. That who he is in the heavens when he breathed life into you and made you. Uh, and, and the enemy wants to try to get us to focus on even the greatest, even the craziest stuff, even the, the biggest worrisome stuff on this earth does not compare to my God in eternity outside of anything. He doesn't need matter. He doesn't need substance to make something. That's who my God is. So Anything that he tells us, anything the enemy will try to get you to focus on other than that is, like they said here in verse 19, as if God were just some other God made by human hands, that he's just like everything else, that God's word, trying to make God and his word as if it's just like anything else, and make it common, basically, is what I'm trying to say, and and lower it, trying to bring God's power down. And you just can't. You can't touch God there. You you truly can't. We can choose to not believe him, but we can't bring God. The enemy cannot uh, bring God down. All he can do is get people not to believe who God is. Uh, but so it says in verse 20, and this is where I want to I want to get us to, and it comes to this right here. Here's where we get to. It says that King Hezekiah and the prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, cried out in prayer to God in heaven. I didn't just want to get on you for five minutes and read this verse. Uh, I believe that if all you get is this right here for these next few minutes, verse 20, 
then I'll be satisfied. I know that ultimately uh, this is where we need to be right now. And I believe that that you as the church have already been here, but I just want to encourage you again to stay in this place. Verse 20 of prayer before the Lord. And But re the reason I had this whole sermon up to it is I just wanted to really show us how we have to be like that all the time. All the time, we really need to live like this. We cannot just um, come when a trial comes because if we... I believe that I, that Hezekiah was able to do what he did here in verse 20 because he was already living this lifestyle with God where he was already he was very proactive. You can read in the previous chapters that he was faithful to God and he did everything faithfully and he did it uh he did it diligently and he trusted God already and he kept trusting God and trusting God and trusting God. So when this thing came, he did all the natural things that he knew to do. He was very diligent, but ultimately he trusted God and he was already a man of prayer, but he called um, a, a special prayer. He actually grabbed the prophet Isaiah. And uh, if you read the prophets, and Isaiah is a special one, um, that these prophets are, are amazing because they spoke of Jesus coming and spoke of, of the, especially Isaiah, Jesus's uh, cross, his resurrection, what he would go through, his promises he was going to offer us. And they spoke it um, uh, years and years and years and years in advance. And so uh, clearly and so um, accurately. And uh, King Hezekiah grabs this guy, Isaiah, and he prays with him and says they cried out. So we're constantly in a place of prayer. But then there's a time where you cry out. There's a time where, and, and, and I, I believe that um, there's many points in this sermon so far that, that you can take, and those are nuggets in there. But ultimately, if we just take the beginning of the sermon and sandwich it here to the end, that sometimes we, we've done everything we can do, and then we just have to trust in God. Right now, the, the control is out of your hands. There's nothing you can do right now to change the situation uh, as far as uh, for the nation or for the world. It's just in it. The only thing you can do right now is cry out to God. That's basically the place that we're in. You've done all those natural things that you know how to do, and that's great, and I believe we need to do those things. I don't think it would be right if we didn't do those things. But we need to be crying out to God right now. And I love uh, what it says in Joel chapter 2. And I've been meditating on this little chunk of scripture um, for uh, at least a week, maybe two weeks now. I kind of forget when I felt to go dig it up and read it and be in it, reading it. And there are many things in the book of Joel that I think are very timely. But I'm just going to read a few things. Uh, in, in Joel chapter 2, verse 12, it says, That is why the Lord says, Turn to me now, while there is still time. While there is time. He says, Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, and mourning. It tells us in Joel chapter 2. Come to me with, turn to me. Come with fasting, weeping, mourning. 
and tear your hearts uh, because God is merciful and he's compassionate. Verse 14, ask for a reprieve uh, so that God would send a blessing instead of a curse. In verse 15, it says, blow the ram's horn in Jerusalem. Announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. Gather all the people. Let the priests who minister to the Lord's a minister in the Lord's presence stand and weep between the entry to the temple and the altar. You may know it as between the porch and the altar. Get together, uh, cry out, and you can be doing this from your house to my house to your friend's house to your neighbor's house. We can all be from house to house to house crying out together for the Lord to do a miracle right now. We cannot just sit by idly right now. We cannot just say, well, uh, they've got this thing figured out. Uh, the government's got this thing figured out. They'll handle it, and, and they'll, things will unravel as they unravel. But we must be crying out to the Lord for the Lord to work a miracle right now and to bring us out of this thing because it, 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 it's just... It, it has the potential to unfold into other areas financially for not just this nation, but this is a worldwide thing. Financially, uh, it's it could affect the housing market. We already see how oil hits such a low, uh, unprecedented negative $37 a barrel. So we need to be just crying out to the Lord right now for the Lord to have mercy because it says that he's compassionate and he's merciful and to get before him and to to uh to tear our hearts before him and ask the Lord for mercy for our nation and for really for this whole world what the world's going through and uh it says um don't let your special possession become an object of mockery don't let them become a joke for unbelieving foreigners who say, has the God of Israel left them? Or your translation might say uh, something like, where is their God? That this is the time where we can really show who God is. This is a time where we can gather as Christians, even in your own homes, but be we're one, we're one church, and we are praying and believing together right now. We are praying for God to do something. It will not be said where it was God. But God, I want to see God's glory shine through this situation. I want to see God get the glory when this is done. That, that no one else will be able to take any. They can do whatever they can. They could, have, they could get the hospital beds ready and they get the ventilators ready. But no one is going to say that they saved the day. God is going to get the glory in this. And so we just need to pray. This thing, this thing through, and it says, this is just amazing. I just want to close here. This is amazing. God heard their cry. God heard their prayers, and it says in verse 21 that from that unseen realm that we've been talking about, from the unseen, God reached from the unseen. He reached in to this situation, it says in verse 21, and he sent an angel and the angel came and destroyed the Assyrian army with all of its commanders and officers. And Sennacherib was forced to return home in disgrace. The enemy could not use the situation. The situation was there. 
and he could not, the enemy is not going to be able to, if we will keep praying this thing through, the enemy is not going to be able to use this situation to crush us. The enemy is not going to be able to use the situation to steal away the blessings of the Lord that God has given you. He's not going to be able to ruin what God has done for you in this time. And God has done many miraculous things for his people in this time. God has really turned some things around. And there was so many things being exposed out there. And God was really uh, exposing so much darkness and and so this thing came, and the enemy is trying to, to squash that and to try to get his glory. But this is what's incredible. God destroyed his plan, and it says that when Sennacherib got home, it says he entered the temple of his God. And that is so significant because this whole story is about the taunting of God. It's really about testing who God is. Every lie that the enemy speaks in your ear is a taunt. It is against God. It's against God's word. Every single time we look at the situation or we are going reviewing our last sermons, we rely on our senses instead of trusting in God. Every time we do that, we are giving glory to a God other than the God of God, the Lord of Lords, and the enemy is getting glory. But it says that Sennacherib went into that temple and some of his own sons killed him there with a sword. He was wiped out. He lost his power. His power had no control. It was destroyed. It was crushed. And the Lord is going to do that for us. The Lord has a victory awaiting us. I want you to believe. I want you to get a hold of God in this time. And we're going to be doing that together, but you could be doing that personally, too, for maybe situations in your life that you're going through. Grab a hold of this God who is in the unseen. Grab a hold of this God who has angels on hand for you and will crush the enemy uh, if we will just cry out to him. I bless you. We keep praying for the Lord to be faithful and merciful and gracious to you and to this nation this time. and. We'll see you really, really soon. God bless you.